Welcome to The Next Journey, the adventure travel podcast with me, Andrew St. Pierre White. I'm a prisoner of this I'm at Awangi National Park in Zimbabwe. Uh, early morning. Not a very particularly nice campsite, in, it's a public campsite and it's quite noisy. Uh, but big spread out, not too many people here, so comfortable night, nice chat around the fire. And there are no baboons here. We haven't been troubled by baboons, and this is great. Sitting around the campfire talking about stories, as you do, talking about bush stories. This is my story. This is my, this is one of my best bush stories. It's the one that I've been asked to tell more often than any other story. Why I hate baboons. Now look, I'm not, let's get this straight. I'm not bitter about baboons. I just would like to see every single one of them wiped off the face of the planet. It happened in Botswana in 1992. I remember the exact time. In fact, it was 5.15 in the morning of January the 1st, 1992. Gun and I were, were running the, the Delta camp in the Okavango. We had been running for, for a year at the time. And we'd had constant trouble with baboons and, and things like that. And it was, they were becoming a danger to the staff. They were walking from the village. They were becoming, but the staff weren't too hassled by it. But they, some of the ladies walking on their own were a bit hassled by it. And then we had one of the baboons actually go inside one of the chalets. And the guest was actually on the toilet. And he had to stay there for like two hours while this baboon helped himself to all the coffee and tea things in the room. And he was terrified. I had to do something. Now I should add here that this story is one of the stories that makes up the torn trousers. Gwyn and I, we, we wrote a, a diary, we diarized our, our year in the Okavango and then we in 2015 we published a book which has actually won a small literary award in the UK um, for travel writing and it's our memoir of our year in the Okavango. And this story comes directly out of that and this is absolutely true. It's, it is absolutely true. The whole book is absolutely true. But I just wanted to say that because you can't make this stuff up. The baboons were becoming a problem, <clears throat> had been for a long time, and now it was getting to the point where they were endangering people. Had to do something about it. Contacted the Wildlife Authority and said, you've got to come and shoot some baboons. Now what happens is the baboons are led tradition, normally. They're a troop. They are led by a number of alpha males. And the alpha males are, are big brutes. They are enormous and they, 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 they stand. They're much bigger than the biggest dog. So they're, they're not small animals, incredibly agile. You can run through the trees, just you know, un unbelievably fast and agile animals. One of their chief predators is the leopard. Leopards mostly can't catch them. They're incredibly fast and powerful. But of course, they can be a menace and are a menace when they come in contact with human beings. We had the lodge, we had, you know, we never fed them. No, and this is, this is one of the reasons why you never, 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 never feed a wild animal. Never feed a wild animal. You are signing its death warrant, period. Because they become, a, they become used to human food, they become a menace, and then they have to be put down, have to be destroyed, have to, they have to be sorted out. And it's the same with any wild animal. These animals, we hadn't fed them, but they had found stuff to eat in the camp. Our kitchen, we had mesh to protect the kitchen. They would still manage to tear open the mesh. They would still manage to get into the rubbish. So it, we were feeding them. 
not intentionally, but we were feeding them. And as much as how hard we tried not to, it, it, we couldn't stop it. This was why they were a menace around the camp. At the point where I realized that humans were in danger, I contacted the Wildlife Authority and said, please come you shoot some baboons. And they arrived fairly quickly after that. And with uh, two rangers arrived and uh, we chatted um, in front of the camp and gave them a cup of coffee and some rusks. And they said, right, we're gonna go and sort out some baboons. And they went off. During the morning, we heard two gunshots. They came back and uh, said, nah, and I quote, we can't shoot moving targets. They then had a couple of beers, a bit more chat around the, around the camp, got on their boat and disappeared. Well, this isn't gonna work. So I contacted Peter, Peter Sandenberg. He owned Delta Camp at the time. He was one of the pioneers of, of the development of the Okavango. And I called Peter and said, oh, yeah, getting terrible. What, what do you suggest you? He said, throw whitewash over the alpha male and it'll run and all of the others will follow it. Not kidding, he was absolutely serious. It was a ridiculous idea. How do you get, you can't even shoot the guys. How are you actually gonna get whitewash and pour it over? The, hold on a minute, uh, alpha male, just before you raid that dustman, I just want to paint you. Do you mind? So I said, no, I, we've got to shoot some of them. We've got to shoot the alpha male or, or something to, to, to get them to, to, to leave. We've got to make life so unpleasant for them that they leave, there's no other way. But now, I, I, I'm in a wildlife reserve called the Marimi Wildlife Reserve. I am not particularly good with guns. I don't, I don't particularly like hunting. Hunting is not one of my uh, big things. I just prefer to photograph animals than shoot them. And I just don't get trophy hunting. That's beside the point. But the point is that I don't have a lot of experience with firearms and guns. Nevertheless, Peter sent me a single barrel, 12 gauge shotgun with a box of ammunition and a letter. A letter was signed by the Wildlife Authority and the Wildlife Authority said, Andrew White may shoot two baboons on Norga Island. And it was very specific to me. Only I was allowed to carry the weapon and only I was allowed to shoot just two on the island. That made it very specific. And you know, poaching in, in, in Botswana hasn't been a problem really for three decades because of this attitude, very, very strict control over weapons, guns, and things like that in the areas. So I thought, great, we can do something about it. And I would go outside in the morning and there the baboons all over, my God, all over the trees and, you know, and I would shake my fists at them and they would all around like this and I'd point a broom at them and they'd this. I'd go into the cupboard, locker, grab the weapon, walk outside, not a baboon in sight. They knew what this thing was. They knew. So it was hopeless, it was hopeless. I didn't know what to do. <sighs> January the 1st, 1992, 5.15 a.m. Gunnar and I would take it in turns to do the early morning shift. Now, the lucky, those, the, one of us lucky enough to sleep in a bit would get up at half past five, a quarter to six. And the early morning riser would get up at five, go down to the camp, and make sure everything was in one piece, put on some hot water in preparation for making coffee or tea for the guests that would get up at about, oh, I don't know, six to half past six. The staff would generally arrive at about six o'clock, maybe quarter two. I walked from our little house, which is down at the bottom end of the lodge, 
I walk through the bushes, walk through the bushes, and I hear the whoa, whoa of the baboons. They're barking, they're, and I can, I realize, oh, they're just, they've just torn into everything. And there they were in the trees. And I shook my fist at them, and ah, oh, you know, just, in, just uh, you know, and I, while I had the weapon, I didn't really have a solution because I really didn't want to wound one, and I, but I had to do something. So I ran inside and grabbed the gun and pointed at them, and they just stuck around in the trees. And, and this morning's not the time, so I put the weapon back, and I came back. The baboons then started chasing me. They chased me through the trees. Now I have tall trees right above my head, and the baboons chase me in the trees and to start to, to poo on me, to defecate on me, to crap on me. I'm running away from them down towards my place and they are chasing me through the trees, crapping on me. Now, baboon crap is like human feces. It smells the same, except it's stringy. It's watery. It's just so vile. And they scored several direct hits. And I ran into, into our place and Gwyn was stirring. She said, what's happened, what's happened, what's happened? I just turn on the shower tap. It's ice cold water, the boilers only, we only lit the boilers in the evening. Ice cold water. And I say, the boons crapped on me. I don't know what to do. She shouts, John T. What about John T? It's a good idea, John T. So I clean myself up. John T is a mate of mine who came to visit us at the camp at that time. John T is and was really good with weapons, really good with guns. I mean, really good. He served his military service in the South Africa, his uh, conscription in the South African Defence Force. He uh, worked in a, at a company for several years developing bulletproof vests. And I think that's what he was doing at the time, or maybe he'd just started his vehicle armoring business. I'm not sure exactly where he was at the time, but he was familiar with guns. He was very good with them too. Gwen said, get John to shoot on, shoot on. But you, I said, you can't, it's, a, it's, it's illegal. Well, just do it before everybody comes. All right, not a bad idea. In fact, it's the only idea. So two days later, John T arrives with all our guests are there around the breakfast table. And I say to John T, I've got a problem. I need you to help me out. Explain the baboon problem. I said, look, Johns, if we do this, I will be arrested if they find out that you shot it and not me. Okay, you've got to bear this in mind. We've got to do it before the staff arrive. And it's going to be a cl close call because the baboons come in normally, not really. I mean, there's a gap, sh quite a short gap between, because baboons only move around during daylight hours, not at night. They sleep at night. So we talk about it. Decide. Plan one. At the airport, at the airfield, airfield, airport, airfield, it's a rough, rough, it's like a really long cricket pitch where the bush planes come down and deliver their, our packs. They... The baboons actually live across the, across the runway and we would ambush them from a very large termite mound at the, quite close to the entrance to the camp but across the way from where the troop lived. And so we do this and we get up at about quarter to five and we crouch. Now I give John to the weapon, I give him the weapon and immediately breaks it. He takes the ammunition, he puts three shells in his fingers. And he's walking with this weapon that's... And I'm thinking, man, you're a professional. All the safety things and... I'm in good hands. Very confident. So we walk out behind the termite mound to wait for the baboons. And we, we hear them coming quite... We, we were there for a few minutes. 
So I'm saying to Jonty, I'm pointing out the alpha male. And when I see him, I go. So I'm saying target one, target two. He gets it. Puts one down the spout, but he doesn't cock it. He closes it, half closes it, and holds it half closed like this. They start to move closer. They start to move closer. They start to move closer. And he, he fixes on the, on the target. He closes the gun and it goes, makes the sound. I couldn't hear it. They could, and they just scattered. He stood up, bang, broke the weapon. This baboon rolled a cloud of dust. He's hit the damn thing, and it's not moving. I can't believe it. It's not the alpha male, but it's number two, target number two. So I say to Johns, give me the weapon, give me the weapon. Now I know. The sound, the crack of the rifle, will bring people running. He gives me, let's say, come on, I take out the thing, just give it to him, put it in the pocket, close it, we walk out. Th that second, coming down the runway, the staff, Matanta, the man himself, our, our deputy managing director and joke maker from the book, printing down the runway, flat out, down the runway, stop, dust, dead baboon. We arrive. There's a hole in the baboon's head, a perfect round hole in the temple. I say to Jonty, good shot. He doesn't react. No reaction at all. So I say to Montanta, well, dig a hole. Now he's looking, the staff are looking at me as if I've just descended from heaven. I, the first person on Yorga Island to hit a baboon with a with a gun, and not only that, I shot it in the temple. I see this sea of adoration. Get the gardeners to dig a hole, bury it. We all walk, we, John and I, John and I walk into the camp, and the staff, I can hear them chattering and laughing and doing this whole thing, as the Motswana people will love to do. They, they thought this was, the, ah, it was people, ran back to the village to tell people what had happened. <clears throat> okay, well, yeah, I'll see what happens. Next morning, Gwyn wakes up, early morning call, goes down to the camp, baboons everywhere. They didn't do to her what they had done to me, <clears throat> but baboons everywhere. It's not working. Johns, we've got to do it again. We've got to shoot another one. We've got to try and get that alpha male, and we have to do it inside the camp. But they don't always arrive really early. They own, the baboons only spend five or ten minutes in the camp in the morning, so the window is very short. And I'm starting to get a bit nervous because the staff would be coming in, and I was a bit nervous about it, but I said, we've got to try it. So, same time, following morning, go behind a very, very large sycamore fig tree, which is next to the water. There's the kitchen, and we get in early. We get in, oh, five. It's just light. And he's doing the same thing, weapon broken, two shells. And we're waiting behind the tree for the baboons to arrive. And they do. And they come in and we're absolutely silent. We're just completely on a big tree. And they're coming in, coming in. And there are 15 of them. And we see some big males. I can't see the alpha male anywhere. Maybe the alpha male is too smart. But we, I don't There was a clearing in one of the big trees. They were leaping from tree to tree, and Jonty saw number two again, saw it as a target. 
isolated the target and I could see him looking at the target. And he closed the weapon and it made this sound. It made no sound at all. They just scattered. They just, just the trees exploded into life. This one baboon ran between two branches and leaped. I'm not kidding, leaped between two trees. I mean, it was a huge leap. John goes, and in one movement, gives me the gun. It hit the baboon. <laughs> Screaming from the staff, they come running into the, through the camp. As they come, we haven't even reached the baboon yet, which is actually on a very low branch. It was lying there. Matanta and a few other people ran, running, running into the camp. Dead baboon. Matanta runs under the tree, jumps up the tree, pulls the baboon off. The baboon lands on, on the ground. And we arrive. And he kicks it over with his foot. And it has a bullet hole in the head. I kid you not, it is here. It was, you couldn't have measured, it was there. <laughs> Chonty looks down and says, oh, nice shot, Andrew. These people, for years, they sang folk songs about me in the village. That was, that was the final result of my superb shooting acumen in the Okavango. It did solve the problem. We had no more baboons coming into the camp and causing trouble until we left, which was about four months later. It's a true story. To this day, I still hate baboons. It's a long time since then. I shouldn't hold this bitterness. But they raided my tent the other day. They learn, they have learned how to zip unzip tents. They're smart. Maybe I just don't like beings that are smarter than me. I don't know, I haven't figured it out yet. Thank you so much for listening to the Next Adventure podcast with me, Andrew St. Pierre White. To find out more information, check out thenextjourney.net. Join us each Sunday 